Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Excuse me. Um, and uh, today's show is going to be, in a funny kind of a way, a continuation of last week's show. I hope that it can stand on its own merits, but in another way, it, it is a continuation. Last week's show was on a saint, Saint Claude de la Colombière, who was a... Um, um, excuse me, uh, I have to sneeze again. Let's hope it's the enemy that wants to interfere with the show. But anyway, Claude de la Colombière was a wonderful saint of the 17th century, very involved with the Sacred Heart apparitions and the promotion of the devotion to the Sacred Heart, which I hope we're all familiar with. Certainly those of our listeners who are Catholic, I hope, are familiar with it. And um, I uh, spent yesterday, uh, last week's program, excuse me, uh, giving the life story and story of the quasi-martyrdom of Claude de la Colombière, and also discussing some of his prayers that were very, very beautiful and reflected this very deep and total spirituality of his. But I didn't have time to get into uh, another aspect of his spirituality, which was closely interwoven with his prayers, which is total confidence, trustful surrender to divine providence. And I think if there's any fundamental uh, teaching about God and life on earth that has fallen through the cracks in our generation, it's precisely that. It's the totality and uh, completeness and total benevolence of divine providence having sovereignty over absolutely everything that happens in the world, despite man's propensity to sin. Uh, and so it's very worth uh, coming back to periodically, especially in the words of the saints, because, of course, the saints have an illumination by the Holy Spirit above and beyond that which is available to um, most of us who are not saints. Certainly speaking for myself, that's the case. So uh, that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to read from a short book of his called Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence, which I recommend very highly. And I do want to point out two things. One is uh, we are uh, at a time on the national calendar, not the church calendar, but the national calendar, with a tremendous event coming up that is the choice of um, the leaders who will have control over our country for the next four years. And some of us, perhaps some of us feel very strongly on either side of the equation. I know I feel tremendously strongly on one side of the equation. I won't mention what that is. But in any case, we can be sure of one thing, which is the candidate who gets elected will be in some sense God's choice. In other words, wherever that election goes, it would not go there if that was not God's will. 
And so that's another reason why right now would be a good time to reinforce our confidence in divine providence if we're going to get very disappointed next week. Um, we have no cause to be disappointed because whatever God wants is the best. Now, when man sins, we know that sometimes chastisement is required coming from God. Um, so just because God wants it doesn't mean it is the most uh, pleasing thing for us or even the thing which seems to reflect the least evil. Um, obviously, uh, the Third Reich happened, the Holocaust happened, Hitler was elected Chancellor of Germany with all that followed on that. That was also divine providence, but it certainly wasn't very pleasant. We have Pol Pot in Cambodia, we have Mao in China, we have we have times when God has sent huge chastisements over national uh, populations. So let us pray fervently that that's not the case next week. But if it is the case, we know that it is a chastisement which came about as a result of our sins. Nonetheless, let us pray God for mercy rather than justice. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention on the start of today's show is, of course, we are coming up on, on uh, the Feast of All Saints Day. Uh, and therefore, I thought it would be nice to begin today's show with a little clip. It's only about a minute or two long that I'll be playing it of the um, Litany of the Saints chanted in Latin. And that will also give me an opportunity to take care of the uh, sniffles that I might be suffering from. So let me put on the Litany of the Saints to put us in the frame of mind, the mood for All Saints Day tomorrow. And um, I'll be back in a moment or two.
Okay, well, I'm back. And um, I hope you enjoyed that little, uh, short little musical interlude while I was getting on top of my sniffles. Let me now begin, as I promised, reading Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence. I'll perhaps interrupt myself as I read to um, underline certain things. Beginning at the beginning, nothing happens in the universe without God willing and allowing it. This statement must be taken absolutely of everything with the exception of sin. Nothing occurs by chance in the whole course of our lives. Is the unanimous teaching of the fathers and doctors of the church, and God intervenes everywhere. Perhaps you will say that while this is true of certain necessary effects, like sickness, death, cold, and heat, and other accidents due to natural causes which have no liberty of action, the same cannot be said in the case of things that result from the free will of man. For if you will object, someone slanders me, robs me, strikes me, persecutes me, how can I attribute his conduct to the will of God, who far from wishing me to be treated in such a manner, expressly forbids it? So the blame, you will conclude, can only be laid on the will of man, on his ignorance or malice. This is the defense behind which we try to shelter from God and excuse our lack of courage and submission. I'm going to interrupt a little bit here. Um, if you listened to last week's show, you would have heard Claude de Colombier's um, act of confidence, act in total trust in everything that happens is coming from the hands of God. Now, of course, that's relatively easy to accept when it comes to natural things, even unpleasant natural things like sickness or death perhaps even a lightning strike on our homes or whatever, we can think of it as an act of God that for some reason it fits into God's providence. But what about a malicious, sinful act by another man when somebody for no reason, let's say, just passing us on the sidewalk, decides to play what's it called a knockout game and knock us unconscious for his own amusement? How can God have willed that? Because, of course, God doesn't want sin. However, a second consideration of the situation, one will realize that if, in fact, malevolent actions by sinful people aren't part of divine providence, then, in fact, divine providence doesn't go very far. And most of the things in our lives that we wish didn't happen fall into that category of sinful actions by other people. So, in fact, we're not really seeing our entire existence as being an unfolding of God's will for us if we kind of magically erase sinful actions by other people. Fortunately, we're about to get to the resolution of this apparent contradiction. So let me go back to the text. Now, in, in full disclosure, um, this, this short book, Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence, is written in part by Reverend Jean-Baptiste Saint-Jour, and in part by Saint Claude de la Colombière. And um, so this part that I'm reading is actually by Saint-Jour. How can God will or allow evil? Uh, continuing on that thought of, of um, when the evil which befalls us comes from the sinful actions of other men. 
However, you will perhaps now say, there is sinfulness in all of these actions. How then can God will them and take part in them if he is all holy and can have nothing in common with sin? God, indeed, is not and cannot be the author of sin. But it must be remembered that in every sin there are two parts to be distinguished, one natural and the other moral. Thus, in the action of the man you think you have a grievance against, there is, for example, the movement of the arm that strikes you or the tongue that offends you, and the movement of the will that turns aside from right reason and the law of God. The physical action of the arm or the tongue, like all natural things, is quite good in itself, and there is nothing to prevent its being produced with and by God's cooperation. What is evil, what God could not cooperate with, is the sinful intention which the will of man contributes to the act. When a man walks with a crippled leg, the movement he makes comes both from the soul and the leg, but the defect which causes him to walk badly is only in the leg. In the same way, all evil actions must be attributed to God and to man, insofar as they are natural physical acts, but they can be attributed only to the will of man, insofar as they are sinful and blameworthy. If, then, someone strikes you or slanders you, as the movement of the arm or tongue is in no way a sin, God can very well be and actually is the author of it. For existence and movement in man, not less than in any other creature, pursued not from himself but from God who acts in him and by him. For in him, says St. Paul, we live and move and have our being. As for the malice of the intention, it proceeds entirely from man, and in it alone is the sinfulness in which God has no share, but which he yet permits in order not to interfere with our freedom of will. Moreover, when God cooperates with the person who attacks or robs you, he doubtless intends to deprive you of health or goods, because you are making a wrong use of them, and they will be harmful to your soul. But he does not intend that the attacker or robber should take them from you by a sin. That is the part of human malice, not God's design. An example may make the matter clearer. A criminal is condemned to death by fair trial, but the executioner happens to be a personal enemy of his, and instead of carrying out the judge's sentence as a duty, he does so in a spirit of hate and vengeance. Obviously, the judge has no share in the executioner's sin. The will and intention of the judge is not that the sin should be committed, but that justice should take its course and the criminal be published, punished. In the same way, God has no share at all in the wickedness of the man who strikes or robs you. That is something particular to the man himself. God, as we have said, wishes to make you see your own faults, to humble you, deprive you of what you possess in order to free you from vice and lead you to virtue. But this good and merciful design, which he could carry out in numerous other ways without any sin being involved, has nothing in common with the sin of the man who acts as his instrument. And in fact, it is not this man's evil intention or sin that causes you to suffer, humiliates, or impoverishes you, but the loss of your well-being, your good name, or your possessions. The sin harms only the person who is guilty of it. 
This is the way we ought to separate the good from the evil in events of this kind and distinguish what God operates through men from what men add to the act by their own will. Now, that was quite a mouthful that we just tried to digest, so let me try to break it down a little bit. Um, Most of the actions, okay, everything that happens to us, everything that happens to us is God's will for us. Not only including the things that cause suffering, but especially the things that cause suffering. The things that we think of as the greatest disasters. Because God wills our true good, and our true good is our salvation and us being with him forever in heaven. And if one is honest with oneself, one will recognize that we go through most of our days and most of our life being overly attached to things other than God, And occasionally, it's good to have a wake-up call. And usually these wake-up calls come from malicious actions of other people. We can think of our house being robbed. We can think of a drunken driver broadsiding us driving. Um, We can think of even worse disasters, which I won't mention, but the author goes on to mention some of them. These come about through the sinful actions of other men. Now, God does not will their sinfulness, does not will that they sin. He can't. However, he uh, enables them to do the action, to do the sinful action, because, because their very existence is dependent on God. Their ability to breathe is dependent on God. Their ability to turn the steering wheel is uh, dependent on God. Their ability to lift the baseball bat over our head, to hit us with it, is dependent on God. And if God wasn't cooperating with their ill will, they wouldn't be able to do it. So what happens to us is actually still divine providence, even though the maliciousness, the sinfulness of the action in the intention of the person performing that action is not coming from God. That could not possibly come from God. I don't know whether I made that clearer or obfuscated it, but it's really important um, to accept the fact that divine providence includes not only natural evil that befalls us, but moral evil that befalls us coming from other people. I will continue. I think that Saint-Jour does a better job than I do of um, nailing this down, so I will continue with his words. St. Gregory sets the same truth before us in another light. A doctor, he says, orders leeches to be applied. Remember the 17th century. While these small creatures are drawing blood from the patient, their only aim is to gorge themselves and suck up as much of it as they can. The doctor's only intention is to have the impure blood drawn from the patient and to cure him in this manner. There is therefore no relation between the insatiable greed of the leeches and the intelligent purpose of the doctor in using them. The patient himself does not protest at their use. He does not regard the leeches as evildoers. Rather, he tries to overcome the repugnance the sight of their ugliness causes and help them in their action, in the knowledge that the doctor has judged it useful for his health. God makes men, uh, make, excuse me, God makes use of men as the doctor does of leeches. 
Neither should we then stop to consider the evilness of those to whom God gives power to act on us or be grieved at their wicked intentions, and we should keep ourselves from feelings of aversion towards them. Whatever their particular views may be in regards to us, they are only instruments of well-being, guided by the hand of an all-good, all-wise, all-powerful God, who will allow them to act on us only insofar as is of use to us. It is in our interest to welcome instead of trying to repel their assaults, as in very truth they come from God, and it is the same with all creatures of whatever kind. Not one of them could act upon us unless the power were given it from above. Let us listen to our Savior himself who came down from heaven to teach us by his word and example. In an excess of zeal, Peter tries to turn him aside from his purpose of submitting to his passion and prevent the soldiers laying their hands on him. But Jesus said to him, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? In fact, he attributed the suffering and ignominy of his passion not to the Jews who accused him, not to Judas who betrayed him, not to Pilate who condemned him, nor to the soldiers who ill-treated and crucified him, nor to the devil who incited them all, though they were the immediate causes of his sufferings, but to God, and to God not considered as a strict judge, but as a loving and beloved father. Let us never then attribute our losses, our disappointments, our afflictions, our humiliations to the devil or to men, but to God as their real source. To act otherwise, says St. Dorothy, would be to do the same as a dog who vents his anger on the stone instead of putting the blame on the hand that threw it at him. So let us be careful not to say, so-and-so is the cause of my misfortune. Your misfortunes are not the work of this or that person, but of God. And what should give you reassurances that God, the sovereign good, is guided in all his actions by his most profound wisdom for holy and supernatural purposes. Wow, okay. And of course, it is the crucifixion itself, it's Jesus himself, who is the most powerful illustration of this principle, that absolutely everything that happens to us, however evil it may appear, and however much it may be coming from the sin of other men, is in fact still divine providence. Because nobody could say, that God did not, <laughs> you've got to be careful with the words here, but that, that God certainly wanted Jesus to be crucified. God wanted Judas to betray him. Or at least, let me say, God made use of the fact that Jesus was going to betray Jesus and that God could have stopped Judas from betraying Jesus if he had wanted. He could have, in fact, arranged for uh, Judas never to have been conceived, or he certainly could have arranged for Judas never to have been made one of the apostles. Everything that happened was the unfolding, in some sense, of a script written by God, making use of the sinful inclinations of men, but not positively willing those sinful inclinations. However, knowing about those sinful inclinations beforehand, because God is out of outside of time, and weaving together the unfolding of providence through his foreknowledge of those sinful inclinations. 
remember the example that um, St. Gregory used, oh no, Saint, excuse me, St. Gregory used the example of the leeches used by the doctor, and the leeches only want to suck your blood. They have, in some sense, an evil intent, but the doctor is using them for your good nonetheless. Similarly, the example of the executioner, who is um, enjoying the fact that he's executing the condemned criminal, but the judge who condemned the criminal to death uh, has no part in that sinful intention of the executioner, but he does have a part in the unfolding of the event of the execution. I hope this made sense. By the way, I have been very remiss. This is a live call-in program. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Again, 866-333-M-A-R-Y or 8679. And nothing would please me more than a call. So um, I think I will um, invite calls in a special way right now. And uh, I usually take a short musical break about halfway through the show. And so I will take that short musical break, continuing with the, um, with the Litany of the Saints, since there are many, many more saints that I haven't gotten to in the Litany of the Saints, so to speak. And, uh, and uh, that will give us an opportunity to um, receive any calls, if there are any callers out there who wish to call in who have questions about this discussion of divine providence uh, in principle based on Claude de la Colombière and his book, Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence. So with that, let me uh, go to that short musical break for two or three minutes. And if you wish to call in with a question or a comment, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y, or especially if you're out of the country or if it's a toll call, uh, you can call on Skype, Radio Maria USA Studio. With that, let's go to the music. Be back in a couple of minutes. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shulman. Back in two or three minutes.
Okay, well, I'm back, and um, much to my delight, I, I see we have a caller, so um, uh, I don't know your name yet. Are you there, caller? Yes. This Great. This is Edwin DeCastro. I'm calling from the east end of Long Island, the greater West Hampton area in New York. Great. Uh, did you have a question or a comment? A couple. Uh, I tuned in late. Uh, so naturally, I'm interested in knowing uh, uh, the details of uh, uh, of the uh, individual you're speaking of or the book. Okay. Um, the second question is, I know you uh, have a weekly show every Saturday from 3 to 4 New York time. Uh, part of my difficulty, and maybe with other callers, is are you able and equipped to do, let's say, a Facebook Live so people can actually communicate with you in text? And uh, this sure. way, uh, whatever that question is, other people can read it as okay. a resource. That's great. Uh, and I, I'm not hanging up on you, but I, my memory isn't the world's best. So let me answer your questions that you've you know, asked so far. So before I forget the stack of them. Um, first of all... Saturday... I believe you have reruns on Radio Maria. Could you also identify if there's a specific time? I think I caught you up your radio shows on a Wednesday, Thursday. Is that true? I'm sorry. I, I, I was talking over you. Let me uh, let me answer the question. You're, you're still on the line, so you, you know what I mean. You can continue asking the question after I answer the part that I understood. Okay. Uh, first of all, okay. what I've been reading from is a booklet... A short book, it's not a booklet, but it's only about 50 pages, called Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence by St. Claude de la Colombière. Um, and it's all over the place. The booklet is, I'm sure you can get the PDF for free online. It's long since out of copyright. And uh, any number of uh, you know publishers publish it. Tan publishes it. And uh, the one I'm reading from is Catholic Way Publishing. You know, it's... Uh, easy to find on Amazon or anywhere. It's called Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence. And um, it's usually attributed to Saint Claude de la Colombière. Uh, but it's, there's a contribution in it by another priest called Jean-Baptiste Saint-Jour. But he's not a saint, so he's usually not given um, you know, the honor. He's not, usually not the listed author. Um, last week's show, I gave the biography of uh, St. Claude de la Colombière, so I didn't want to repeat it this time. Um, I, I do have, it's not exactly Facebook, although if I, I might put it on Facebook. Right now on YouTube, Sunday afternoons, the same time, 3 p.m., beginning 3 p.m. Eastern time, it doesn't have to end at 4 because it's on YouTube, so I usually go, go to a good two hours. I have a YouTube um, live stream where uh, on, okay. and that does have a chat stream and um, I do read the chats as they come in. I don't read them out loud, but I keep an eye on the chat stream and the viewers interact okay. with each other on the chat stream. And um, to some extent, I interact with them on the chat stream. Um, and I don't know if this is your third question, but Radio Maria... The Radio Maria um, shows that I do live, um, I put on my own podcast. Uh, they're archived on radiomaria.us, but to tell the truth, they're not archived like the next day. 
to put it mildly. It can take okay. some quite a bit of time. So I put them up on my podcast, uh, usually the same day, sometimes on a day or two late. And um, that is, uh, you know, blog, you know, blog dot salvation is from the Jews dot com, I think is actually the um, URL for that. Was that your question? Okay, so that's okay. Oh, great. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for your interest. And, and um, I'll be on tomorrow. I mean, if you want to test it out, three o'clock. And okay. the, the chat stream community is quite beautiful, to tell the truth. There's usually about 100 people and they know each other well because, you know, they've been listening for a while and talking to each other for a while. And it's a lot of fun, as you correctly point out. And, um, you know, when I improve my nerding skills, I'll try to simultaneously do it on Facebook, but I haven't gotten up to that point yet. Oh, by the way, uh, it, again, just if you just go on YouTube and search for my name spelled correctly, which is uh, S-C-H-O-E-M-A-N, it's easy to find my channel and, and the live streams and everything. So thanks for those great, you know, interest. And um, I see, great, uh, we have another caller. So um, let's go to the other caller. Um, uh, come come on, caller. Wh what's your name? Neva, Neva. Excuse me, again? My first name is Rita. All right. Rhoda? Rhoda? No, Rita. R-I-T-A. Oh, Rita, I'm sorry. I have a very bad... Uh, I'm sure you're going out clearly, but but my personal connection is pretty bad, so I apologize for that. Um, did you have a question or a comment, Rita? Uh, I've been a Catholic all my life, and I've spent a few years with the sisters, and I've never understood in the Apostles' Creed where it says Jesus descended into hell. I don't understand that. Oh, okay. Well, I'll I'll do my best. Uh, you know, I'm not licensed. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a licensed dogmatic theologian. But I um, uh, I'll, I'll tell you my understanding, which I actually do think is is correct. Which is that. Oh boy, I tend to be long-winded, but here we go. Um, before 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 the crucifixion. Um, no one was in heaven, right? Jesus opened the gates to heaven um, on Holy Saturday. So there were lots of saints before Jesus died. Um, they're even on the old church calendar. Elijah was a saint. Abraham was a saint. Isaac was a saint. Jacob was a saint. Uh, literally, I mean, they were on the old calendar. But they weren't in heaven yet because there were no human souls in heaven yet because... Um, it required Jesus' sacrifice in order to open the gates of heaven. So they were in a place called, um, in, 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 in the Old Testament scriptures, it's called Sheol, the place of the dead. Um, it was translated into Greek, I believe, as Hades. And in Catholic theology, it's known as the limbo of the just. But it was like a, a waiting room until the Messiah came and opened the gates of heaven. Now, that's where Jesus mm -hmm. descended to. So I don't like the translation hell, although I know that's the usual translation, that Jesus ascended into hell. 
as though it's the place where the damned souls were. I don't I think that's the case. He descended to the limbo of the just. He descended to Hades. He descended to Sheol. He descended to the place where the souls of people who had died, who were waiting for, had to wait for the Messiah to come in order for them to be released into heaven were. And their beautiful uh -huh. medieval paintings of Jesus descending to this limbo of the just and, you know, throwing open the gates of heaven and you have this huge parade of pre-Christian saints starting with Adam and Eve, literally, um, you know, leading this procession uh -huh. to heaven. So that's my understanding uh -huh. of it. I hope that helps. Well, it sounds sound very uh, reasonable. It sounds reasonable. I never, I didn't know the, when we knew the explanation of it, or, you know, I don't. I'm, I'm with you completely. I, I'm with you completely. I think, I think that it's impossible. I mean, frankly, I think it's the only explanation. Um, and uh, I know it's a kosher explanation. I know that there are Catholic theologians who think who 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 think that the descent to hell was the descent to the place of the damned, but that's certainly not a necessary. Uh, you know, in other words, that doesn't seem reasonable. To, that doesn't seem reasonable to me at all. I agree with you. I'm with you. So thanks a lot for the call, and I'm glad I could clear it up after 50 years of um, you know of kind of wrestling <laughs> with it. It's a great honor. So thanks for the no, call. Thank Thank you all. So I, I try to listen to you pretty regularly. Great. Great. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye. So, bye. Bye. So, um, okay, I don't see any other callers, so I'll go back to Claude de la Colombière for the last 15, 20 minutes of the show. Okay. Um, I'm now in the part of the text that was written by St. Claude. It is one of the most firmly established and most consoling of the truths that have been revealed to us that nothing happens to us in life unless God wills it so. Wealth and poverty alike come from him. If we fall ill, God is the cause of our illness. If we get well, our recovery is due to God. We owe our lives entirely to him, and when death comes to put an end to life, his will his will be the hand that deals the blow. But should we attribute it to God when we are unjustly persecuted? Yes. He is the only person you can charge with the wrong you suffer. He is not the cause of the sin the person commits by ill-treating you, but he is the cause of the suffering that person inflicts on you while that person is sinning. God did not inspire your enemy with the will to harm you, but he gave him the power to do so. If you receive a wound, do not doubt, but that it is God himself who has wounded you. If all living creatures were to league themselves against you, unless the Creator wished it and joined with them and gave them the strength and means to carry out their purpose, they would never succeed. You would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from above, the Savior of the world said to Pilate. Think about that. You would have no power over me if it had not been given you from above. The Savior of the world said to Pilate. That is true. 
whenever anyone injures us. We could also be saying that. They would not be in a position to injure us if it had not been given to them from above. We can say the same to demons and men, to the brute beasts and to whatever exists. You would not be able to disturb me or harm me as you do unless God had ordered it so. You are sent by him. You are given the power by him to tempt me and to make me suffer. You would have no power over me if it had not been given you from above. Now let me interrupt myself and interject with a very beautiful paragraph from St. Faustina's diary, where, um, which kind of underlines this. So let me read it. It's um, paragraph 320. If you're familiar with her diary, you'll know that, that that's how you find things in her diary. It's divided into paragraphs. Let me read you this true event that happened in the life of St. Faustina. Jesus made known to me how very pleasing to him were prayers of atonement. He said to me, The prayer of a humble and loving soul disarms the anger of my father and draws down an ocean of blessings. After the adoration, halfway to my cell, I was surrounded by a pack of huge black dogs who were jumping and howling and trying to tear me to pieces. I realized that they were not dogs, but demons. One of them spoke up in a rage. Because you have snatched so many souls away from us this night, we will tear you to pieces. I answered, if that is the will of the most merciful God, tear me to pieces, for I have justly deserved it, because I am the most miserable of all sinners, and God is ever holy, just, and infinitely merciful. To these words all the demons answered us one, Let us flee, for she is not alone, the Almighty is with her. And they vanished like dust, like the noise of the road, while I continued on my way to my cell undisturbed, finishing my te deum, and pondering the infinite and unfathomable mercy of God. So just think about this. What a beautiful story. And of course, true. St. Faustina is going back to her cell after praying in adoration and actually saving many souls through her prayers, sparing many from hell, which means that she would tore them out of the grip of Satan and the demons, right? So, of course, the demons were very angry with her. And on her way back to her cell, they attack her as a pack of howling and jumping huge black dogs about to tear her to pieces, saying, we will tear you to pieces because you've snatched so many souls away from us this night. What did she answer? She answered, if that is the will of the most merciful God, go ahead and tear me to pieces because you could not be doing this if it wasn't his will. And at that, they vanished like dust because they were helpless in the face of her faith and trust in God. So anyway, that's uh, to me, it's a very strong underlining of this principle that St. Claude de la Colombière is saying here, which is, you would not be able to disturb me or harm me as you do unless God had ordered it so. You are sent by him, you are given the power by him to tempt me and to make me suffer. You would have no power over me if it had not been given you from above. If from time to time we meditated seriously on this truth of our faith, it would be enough to stifle all complaint 
in whatever loss or misfortune we suffer. What I have the Lord gave me, it has been taken away by him. It is not a lawsuit or a thief that has ruined you, or a certain person that has slandered you. If your child dies, it is not by accident or wrong treatment, but because God, to whom everything belongs, has not wished you to keep it longer. It is then a truth of our faith that God is responsible for all the happenings we complain of in the world, and furthermore, we cannot doubt that all the misfortunes God sends us have a very useful purpose. We cannot doubt it without imputing to God a lack of judgment in deciding what is advantageous for us. It is usually the case that other people can see better than we can ourselves what is good for us. It would be foolish to think that we can see better than God himself, who is not subject to any of the passions that blind us, knows the future, and can foresee all events and the consequences of every action. Experience shows that even the gravest misfortunes can have good results and that the greatest successes end in disaster. A rule also that God usually follows is to attain his ends by ways that are the opposite to those human prudence would normally choose. Let me interject here, which is, God knows what is most important, and what is most important for us, for our own true good, is actually, I mean, he wants us to be happy in this life between birth and death, but more important than being happy in this life between birth and death, which, let's face it, is what, at most a hundred years, is being happy for all eternity with him in heaven. So, if God knows that we will lose heaven unless he gives us a little unhappiness for a few moments on earth, he is wise enough and loving enough to do so. So, if he knows for instance, um, oh, let's say, I'll take a fictional example. Let's say that a young man is a professor at Harvard Business School at an early age and is all full of himself and very arrogant and throws his weight around and thinks he's, you know, the most important and smartest person in the world. Then maybe his salvation is in danger and he should be, he has to be taken down a few notches and taught humility in order to stop being, you know, an arrogant yuppie and make it to heaven. If God loves him and wants his good, he's going to do that. We have examples, I won't give names because I don't want to get too political. We have examples of politicians who have everything the world has to offer, and I mean, literally millions of dollars, gotten through bribes, actually, and, and treason, selling out the interests of their own country for, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars in bribes, um, have certainly been able to indulge their physical lusts to a, you know, obscene degree, including physical lusts, which are much to the detriment of other human beings, both in terms of their suffering and in terms of their damnation and so forth. They have all of these things handed them them on a silver platter. Let me ask you, in a sense, <laughs> the question is not why is God so good to them, but why is God so bad to them? Why has God permitted them to enjoy this depravity for so long and so deeply 
that their salvation is almost inconceivable unless certainly is inconceivable unless they repent and how are they going to repent unless some disaster befalls them so anyway the only way to make sense out of life between birth and death is to see it through the lens of uh, the moment we die essentially see it through the lens of the fact that we will be living for all eternity see it through the lens of our own death basically which is why you have all of these beautiful paintings of saints i did a show a few weeks ago on saint bruno and the classic painting of saint bruno shows him sitting at his desk staring at a human skull it's not just him there are many saints that are pictured that way staring at a human skull because because <laughs> the only way to come to the proper perspective about our life on earth is to see it through our own death, if you see what I mean. Anyway, back to uh, St. Claude de la Colombière for the last few minutes. It is the truth of our faith that all, God is responsible for all the happenings we complain of in the world, and furthermore, we cannot doubt that all the misfortunes God sends us have a very useful purpose. We cannot doubt it without imputing to God a lack of judgment in deciding what is truly advantageous for us. That was a repeat of a paragraph I read before. In our ignorance of what the future holds, how can we be so bold as to question what comes about by God's permission? Surely it is reasonable to think that our complaints are groundless and that instead of complaining, we ought to be thanking providence. Joseph was sold into slavery and thrown into prison. If he had felt aggrieved at these apparent misfortunes, he would really have been feeling aggrieved at his happiness, for they were the steps to the throne of Egypt. Let us imagine our confusion when we appear before God and understand the reasons why he sent us the crosses we accept so unwillingly. The death of a child will then be seen as its rescue from some great evil had it lived, Separation from the woman you love, the means of saving you from an unhappy marriage. A severe illness, the reason for many years of life afterwards. Loss of money, the means of saving your soul from eternal loss. So what are we worried about? God is looking after us and yet we are full of anxiety. We trust ourselves to a doctor because we suppose he knows his business he orders an operation which involves cutting away part of our body and we accept it. We are grateful to him and we pay him a large fee because we judge he would not act as he does unless the remedy were necessary and we must rely on his skill. Yet we are unwilling to treat God in the same way. It looks as if we do not trust his wisdom and are afraid he cannot do his job properly. We are allow ourselves to be operated on by a man who may easily make a mistake a mistake which may cost us our life, and we protest when God sets to work upon us. So I have come to the end of my time, so I'm going to have to wrap this up, but let me just say that uh, my prayer for today's show, and I like to end the show in a prayer, is that we learn more and more and more to glorify God. There are many, many, many infinite number of facets of God for us to glorify. Uh, we know from St. Faustina that he wants us to glorify his mercy. He wants us to glorify his love for us. He wants us to glorify his, his wisdom, his power, his beauty, 
uh, the, uh, the, his beauty and creativity as reflected in everything he's created around us, in the trees, in the sky, in nature, in the animals, in the flowers, and so forth. But perhaps one of the greatest acts, uh, products of his beauty, products of his omnipotence, products of his brilliance, and, and products of his goodness is divine providence itself, is, is the way he weaves our lives together to be the best possible thing. So let us learn to glorify him in his divine providence, in his weaving together everything that happens to us in our lives to be the best possible thing to end in an eternity of bliss with him forever, uninterruptedly in heaven. So, Please, please, God, give us the grace to every day or at least every week move slightly further on the path of recognizing and glorifying your divine providence in our lives. And with that, it's time to say goodbye. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman. Please join us again next week, same time, same place. But just before I say bye for now, I will say I will bring back up that music I was playing, the Litany of the Saints, for a moment or two to help us prepare for the transition into All Saints Day tomorrow. And also, since it's All Saints Day tomorrow, of course, it means it's All Saints Eve this evening, which is a good time to pray to all the saints. And because it has been turned into this blasphemous, pagan holiday. I don't want to be a buzzkill, but of Halloween, which very often has uh, very negative prayers being sent out, let us try to counteract them with our particular prayer and love of God this evening and make sure that God is as victorious as possible in, um, in enabling our prayers of adoration and good as outweighing the prayers of negativity which may come because it's Halloween. So with that let me return to the um, the litany of the saints for the last few moments and again join us again next week and bye for now. <laughs>